Hello and welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Reese and I will be taking this podcast solo this week. Hot Take Mondo, my co-host, was called to a last minute gig in New York. And between that, the holiday events that I need to pull off this week, we just couldn't find any time that we could overlap to pull off a podcast. So unfortunately, I will be here to walk you through the absolute debacle that was the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Green Bay Packers this last week. But before we get too far into that, I just want to give a quick social media shout out. You can check us out on Instagram at Fountain City SM. And if you really like what we hear, you can check us out at patreon.com backslash FCSM, where you can become a patron for less than the cost of one cup of Starbucks coffee a month. Get access to premium series and content, including season zero, our COVID season, the Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary, Speedy and Angry, our 10-part in-depth deep dive into the Fast and Furious franchise, and more. Check all that out at patreon.com backslash FCSM. Give the gift of Found City Sports Media this holiday season. All right, so Chiefs Packers. I think the only way to really get into this game is to talk about the elephant in the room, which was the officiating not only on the final drive, but throughout the game. Uh, this game was full of very questionable ticky-tack penalties on both sides. I think Travis Kelsey got called for an offensive pass interference early on in the game that I, to this day, do not know what they were looking at there. Rasheed Rice was the beneficiary of a pass interference call, in, I think it was in the third quarter, where it was kind of a, it was a tug on the arm, just enough to like keep him a half step away from the football. Like, was it P.I.? Was it not? Uh... I don't like that call personally, especially since later on in the game, I think there was a very similar call on one of the Packers tight ends. I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Dobbs. Uh, very similar sort of thing. Just kind of a small little tug of the jersey. Kept him about a step, half step away from where the ball was going to be, but no pass interference. We need consistency on those. You know, overall, you call them both or you don't call either of them. I, as a football fan, I'd prefer you didn't call either of those. Neither of those were egregious pass interference calls in my opinion you can watch replays get your own opinion on that but I think later on this game we all saw what a pass interference looks like uh why don't we just jump ahead to that final drive here so we all know and this is what really grinds my gears so Mahomes was scrambling on third down he had nobody in front of him he had plenty of green field he had Anyone could see from the angle. Mahomes was heading towards the sidelines. Nobody was going to get to him. He had at least a yard past the first down marker clear. So Pat starts angling towards the outside. He starts pulling up because he knows he has that extra yard. He's got this first down no matter what. It was 34 on the Packers, I think. I can't remember who his name is. But right when Pat is on the sideline, he comes and lays both of them out. Like crushes Pat so hard. Pat goes flying forward. 34 goes flying backwards from the impact. My gut reaction was, I think I stood up and I said, no freaking way they don't call that. Of course, they throw a flag. Unnecessary roughness, I believe, was the play calling that. So, unfortunately, after that, that's when people start chiming in with all this nonsense of, oh, Chiefs get all the calls. Chiefs get all the calls. Refs bailing them out. I can't believe it's rah 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 
you know, I think our group chat, people were referencing Mina Kimes, you know, who always loves chiming in on things like this, saying, well, this isn't really helping the Chiefs get all the calls sentiment. Okay, and guess what? They go to the replay. It turns out this guy did get to Pat about six inches before Pat stepped out of bounds. It was technically inbounds. My gripe with it, you saw the quarterback had the first down. He has given himself up, and he's running towards the sideline. It's almost like the sideline equivalent of going for a slide. So the fact that you decided to not just like push him out or run into him at that point, but straight up light him up, yes, it's a risk. Yes, you beat it by six inches, but game time, that's a bang-bang play on a quarterback on the sideline. That's going to get called every time. It's going to get called every time. And Pat also didn't sell it. This isn't like when you watch Josh Allen flop and you see this giant 6'5", 245-pound man get hit by someone half his size and he throws his arms up in the air and he goes flying backwards even though Josh likes to truck people and he never goes flying backwards. It wasn't anything like that. But it was a bang-bang play with the quarterback as a ball carrier right on the sideline with a very hard hit. He rolled the dice on that. Patrick rolled the dice on that, you know, going for the uh, going for the first down and rushing instead of passing. But, like, you're going to get called. Now, after watching the replay, I agreed. I'm like, he got there early. That was a beneficiary call on our part. I don't think there's any conspiracy on that. I don't think there's any, oh, that's a Patrick bailout call or anything. That is going to get called nine out of ten times regardless of who you are. Unless you're maybe like Zach Wilson, then they probably don't give you the call. Problem is, very next play, pass to Rashi Rice. Rashi Rice fights for extra yards. He's down. The ball pops out after he's down. Runs back the other way for a touchdown. They review it, but while it's being reviewed, it has been seen that Isaiah Pacheco got in a scuffle with, I think it was Nixon or Mixon or something like that on Green Bay, winds up giving him a right jab across the face, hits him with that fade. Pacheco gets tossed out of the game. 15-yard penalty. Now, here's the thing. Watching that live, I thought he was down for sure. I said, unless this ball squirts out and we just couldn't see it from the angle, I'm like, to me, he was down. Like, his butt hit the ground and the ball popped out. It was one of those. So, when they go to the replay, yeah, it's pretty easily confirmed that his butt was on the ground and then the ball gets ripped out afterwards. Unfortunately, if they would have called that correctly, Pacheco doesn't get in a scuffle, doesn't punch the dude, doesn't get ejected. I am not condoning punching. You should never punch a dude. It's stupid. But had the referees called that one right as well, guess what? Down by contact, that extended return never happens. Pacheco's probably still in the game, doesn't get tossed out. So if you want my opinion on that, the hit on Patrick on the sidelines, that was the wrong call. Watching it live, that looked bad. Watching it live, that looked bad. Watching the replay, oh, he got there, albeit like six inches before the sideline, but... Still six inches before the sideline. Wrong call. Watching this one, he looked down real time. He for sure was down in the review. And unfortunately, with Pacheco gone, in my opinion, they got their 15 yards back right then and there, the very next play. We're square. Let's play on. The biggest play of the game, which, if anything, I am hoping starts to silence some of this sentiment that the Packers, the sorry, that the Chiefs get all of these magical calls to win them games. Marquez Valdez-Scantling runs a deep post route. He has the defender beat. Mahomes throws the center side of the field. Defender is behind MVS. Defender jumps up, 
grabs onto MVS with one arm, like a like he's giving him a piggyback ride, like snakes his arm over his shoulder to smack the ball, tackles MVS, ball hits the ground, no pass interference. No pass interference. And what's funny is I mentioned Mina Kimes earlier in particular, because I will say she at least owned up to it. Because like her very next response to her own tweet was like, um, yeah, but that was pass interference. It absolutely was pass interference. Like I said, real time, the hit on Mahomes looked bad in slow motion replay. Turns out it wasn't bad. Real time, this pass interference looked bad. Slow motion, it was a travesty. That's how bad it was. It seriously was. And what makes me so frustrated is, like I said, you want to give them a makeup call? You don't give makeup calls. They will train you that in officiating in any sport at any level that two wrongs do not make a right. You don't give makeup calls. And like I said, they got their 15 yards back the next play with a penalty that shouldn't have happened if you called that play right. So as far as I'm concerned, we're square. But a deep pass to MVS just gets absolutely trucked. Luckily, even on sports talk shows this week, the sentiment has been, well, maybe officiating is just bad in general. It's not just giving the Chiefs free plays. And it's like, you think? Because it's a dangerous sentiment. Like I said, when these talking heads start running their mouths and saying all these things like, oh, their opinions are law. You know, therefore, this is what's actually happening. I mean, it's so easy to watch slander become opinion, become truth to people. Opinion easily becomes truth. We saw it in week one with Chris Collinsworth again when he called out Jawan Taylor saying, now here's a guy who's lining up as a slot receiver. Even though, dude, I just spent the entire Eagles game or the, the game before watching the Eagles and Lane Johnson, and he's still doing that step back as egregiously, if not more egregiously than Jawan Taylor. But because Chris Collinsworth said something and the national average person listened to it, took that opinion as truth. Therefore, it was made a point of emphasis on only Juwan Taylor. Funny how one person's opinion gets taken to the court of public opinions, gets turned into truth, and widely affects the game. Anyhow, we can talk about the Hail Mary pass interference if you want. Here's the thing. I know they don't call pass interference on Hail Marys like 99 times out of 100. I get it. I get there's going to be contact. I get you're just like throwing a jump ball like you're playing 500 or recess. This one was bad. Kelsey got taken out at the hip with one of his arms being held down like simultaneously. So he could not make any sort of play on the ball. And even then, like the commentators, the postgame analysts, even on Twitter and stuff, people are saying that's P.I. And the counter argument to that is, yeah, well, they don't call P.I. on Hail Mary's. Okay, I get that. It was still P.I. And what I am saying is, I agree. That's totally fine that you don't call that one right there. I think it was more so that it was a back-to-back two plays, basically. I think two out of three or maybe two in a row where someone's getting mean mugged on a pass. We got to set some precedent here. And I think we got to set some precedent on Hail Marys in particular. I don't know what that looks like, but I would really like to see ironic a point of emphasis made this offseason when training these officials to be like okay guys we've gotten pretty sloppy with hail marys you know there's going to be contact probably if someone comes if someone jumped up behind kelsey and kind of like you know 
hit him in the back a little bit before the ball went there, but he was obviously going for the ball. That's one thing. That's totally fine contact. Kelsey just getting taken out from the side and being completely removed from jumping for the ball. Those kind of things aren't okay on Hail Marys. And it sets a precedent that you can just absolutely take dudes out on Hail Marys. So let's see a little bit of tweaking on Hail Marys. I would like to see something put into place, you know, education for teams where it's like, okay, guys, going forward, this kind of contact in a Hail Mary, you know, it's contact on a Hail Mary. This kind of contact on a Hail Mary, this is taking a player out. We're going to call you for that. I don't know. Even if they made some sort of like, like a five-yard version of a pass interference, does that make any sense? Kind of like how holding, well, no, they don't do that anymore, do they? They used to have it on face masks, like the five-yard, oh, uh, running into the kicker. Running into the kicker versus like roughing the kicker. You know, one's a five-yard penalty, repeat the down. The other one's like a spot foul or something like that. Long story short, I know you you just heard the bemoaning of a Chiefs fan on the officiating side of things because this is the Chiefs podcast and those are the things that directly affect the Chiefs. The officials were bad both ways throughout the evening. I do think officiating, I've said this multiple times, is reaching a crisis point now. It absolutely is reaching a crisis point, especially with the introduction of sports betting and how like every other ad in the NFL is a partnership with Caesar Sportsbook, with MGM, with FanDuel, with DraftKings, you know, with your local CVS even. It's getting a little out of control. And in this age of social media and in this age where people aren't trusting of their own government where people aren't trusting of their own jobs and friends and family. Give us something we can believe in. Give us something we can trust. Let us believe that you're not intentionally manipulating the product or keeping referees intentionally ignorant by not having higher standards for your officials, such as making them full-time positions. I just, that I cannot fathom how for a multi-billion dollar industry, some dude who's working down at the local law firm, probably clearing, you know, $200,000 regularly, just gets to moonlight as an official on Sunday with absolutely no repercussions whatsoever. They don't have to answer questions to their jobs. Ugh. It's crazy. And it's, it's, it's suffering league-wide. It's suffering league-wide. NFL officials can be better. NFL officials should be better. The NFL should be better with their officials. So that is my raging referees officials manifesto. Everyone's got a manifesto these days. That's my officials manifesto putting it to rest. Now let's focus on the game itself. The Green Bay Packers defeated the Kansas City Chiefs. The Green Bay Packers defeated the Kansas City Chiefs. That's all we got to say. It was not a good game from start to finish from Kansas City. Uh, Green Bay made some clutch plays when they had to. Kansas City did not. And here's the thing. I kind of called this coming into this game. I said, Green Bay doesn't seem like a ground and pound team. The Kansas City Chiefs seem to have gotten right after that game against the Raiders. If that offense shows up against Green Bay's normal offense, I don't think they're going to be able to beat us because they're not a ground and pound team. Now, you know what happened? We lost some key players on defense. Combined with Dylan having, I think, the best night of his season, suddenly Green Bay became a ground-and-pound team. You know what happened after that Raiders game? Our offense completely regressed to how we had seen in the previous weeks. Guys, the script was flipped. 
what I said couldn't happen for us to still win. Both of those things happened and we lost. Green Bay outplayed us. Green Bay won. Here's why this is important. I just spent some time bemoaning the officiating. Consider that my Chiefs focused but league-wide officiating bemoanment. The Chiefs, as a football team, are in serious trouble. And I've got three things I'm going to break down for you why this team is in very dire straits right now. It's so funny to me going online, be it Chiefs subreddit, be it Chiefs uh, you know, official like SB Nation fan blogs, be it Chiefs independent blogs, and seeing fans still so confident in this team. Perhaps I am a doomer myself, but looking at the big picture here, this team is not looking good. I don't understand why people are saying, well, if we still want to win the Super Bowl, Super Bowl? Super Bowl? You want to talk Super Bowl? I just want to make the playoffs at this point. I just want to make the playoffs. So here are the three big things facing the Chiefs right now and why I am very concerned for them over these final five games of the season. Number one, let's start with the offense. Isaiah Pacheco had a good night. Over 100 yards rushing. He was a workhorse. He ran angry. He kept drives going. He was a key reason why we were able to continuously move the ball throughout the night. The problem is our receiving core is still unfathomably awful. Unfathomably awful. If you look at the total yards, if you look at the drives the Chiefs put together, we put together multiple eight or nine play drives and moved the ball up and down the field. The problem is, and which has been the entire season, once we get to the red zone, things get screwed up. And you know what happens when we get to the red zone? You have to play a much more precise game considering the fact that you're deep in their territory. You have that 12th defender being the back of the end zone. You have to play more precise. That's where the glaring deficiencies in this offense come up because we don't have precision receivers or receivers running the correct routes. And Isaiah Pacheco, love him. You know, he's not like Derrick Henry or Nick Chubb where you hand it off and he's going to auto truck you five or six yards. We don't have that offense right now. We have one guaranteed offensive weapon. And unfortunately, he's 34 with 300,000 miles on his, uh, on his odometer and getting doubled, if not triple teamed, every time he's in the red zone. So playing such sloppy football is what's resulting in turnovers at worst, which is resulting in miscommunications, resulting in settling for field goals. If Harrison Butker wasn't having the season he was having right now, it's very realistic the Chiefs are sitting at 6-6 six and six or worse. Look up his numbers. I'm not going to say it, but look them up. An example of these receivers being unbelievably awful is straight up summated in that fourth quarter drive when the Chiefs have a chance to go down the field, put a touchdown on the board, and tie this game. Mahomes throws a timing route to Sky Moore towards the outside. It looked like it was just a simple outside slant. Mahomes throws him the ball, and it's just like it sails over his head. And the Packers' defensive back is right there to pick it off. I mean, it, it almost it almost looked like a pitch and catch to the Packers player. And I've seen that happen enough this year now 
that it's just like the first one or two times that happened, I'm like, oh man, I'm like, is Mahomes getting cocky? Like, is he is he dealing with that ankle injury so he can't put touch in the passes the way he wants? No. We talked about this in the podcast a few weeks ago what Dan Orlovsky pointed out, and this play just sums it all up. You have receivers straight up running the wrong routes. Straight up running the wrong routes. If Mahomes is throwing a timing route to the outside toward the sidelines, why is Sky Moore looking over his left shoulder towards the center of the field right by that right hash mark? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And subsequently, he was so far off of where he should have been on that route, he couldn't even make a play on the ball to break it up. If he runs that route correctly, albeit poorly correctly, he can at least make a play on that ball to break it up. Now, was it the most perfect pass thrown by Mahomes? No, they never are. Nobody throws perfect passes. You want to give this like an 80-20 breakdown sky to Mahomes? Sure, go ahead. Pat could have thrown that a little bit shorter. But if Sky Moore is where he needs to be when he needs to be, he at least gets his 10 and a half inch hands on that and has a play to make a reception. He at least has a play to make a reception. We've seen this multiple times throughout the season. Marquez Valdez Scantling is another just awful perpetrator at this, and it happened again once or twice against Green Bay. Or when he's running deep routes, why is he running towards the safety? If he's facing single high coverage and there's one safety out there, dude, I don't care if that's technically your correct route. Break away from the safety. Don't run towards the defense. Pat will throw you a contested ball because he's out of options. But why don't you go to the area where there's space and Pat can throw you a more uncontested ball? It boggles my mind. And that's the simple thing that Kelsey has done his entire career, even for Alex Smith. But Mahomes is just super in sync for it. We've talked about, sorry, we haven't talked about this. Actually, we may have talked about this, but you see it mentioned all the time that Kelsey's X factor is that he can find the soft spot in zone and man coverage, but particularly zone. So there'll be times when he's like, yo, I know what my route's supposed to be, I also can see where there's going to be space based on their coverage. So I'm going to say, screw this route, route, sorry. And I'm just going to kind of shave off here. All of a sudden, he's wide open. Mahomes finds him because Mahomes can find space. When you got guys like MBS and Justin Watson running into the safety or where the safety is or pulling their safety towards other wide receivers, there's no space. It's incredible. And of course we can go back on all 22 footage and be like, well, if Mahomes was technically, you know, looking for uh, this receiver on this play, he was wide open. Okay, guess what? No quarterback in the history of ever, ever magically sees the open guy 100% of the time. If the open guy happens to be the third or fourth read on a progression, and like his first option is supposed to be at a certain place, Mahomes is looking for that first option to be in a certain place. So you can't be like, okay, he's not there. Now let me pan over to this guy who's going to be wide open. Oh, what do you know? I'm sacked. A lot of sacks this year have been coverage sacks. Not because Mahomes is holding on to that ball too long, but because these receivers are running the wrong routes, they're running into safeties, and they overall just don't know what they're doing. I think the frustrating thing is you often see with bad teams, 
you often see bad coaching as a result of bad teams. You can also see a bad team with a lack of overall talent, just like there aren't enough dogs, a lack of talent. It's rare you see a team with this much disjointed ineptitude across the board, and I think that's what makes this so incredibly frustrating. I would say if you looked at the Chiefs wide receiver room probably the last two or three years, you could say, yeah, I see a lack of talent in that wide receiver room. When you have, let's use Hills last year, where you have Tyreek Hill, and then like a huge drop-off, and you got Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson. Oh, geez, who was our wide receiver for at that point? Uh, maybe McCole Harden is wide receiver for. There's a lack of talent there. But you just had two short, too, too short, too slow, not athletic guys that couldn't get separation, but we're doing the right thing. They were just doing the best they could, and the best they could was a low ceiling. It's so rare you see this level of just absolute yakety sacks, nobody knows what's going on, running the wrong routes, dropping balls that hit you right in the hands, dropping balls with nobody out in front of you, I mean, the absolute overall lack of skill and ineptitude in this group is something else, man. This brings us to a sub-problem, to problem one, which is we are still running this wide receiver by committee strategy, which after 12 games, 12, it's obvious that this is not working. One thing Chiefs fans have been clamoring about throughout this year is that Rasheed Rice will come in, get his snap, get his number called, wind up making a pretty big play for 12 or 15 yards. Very next play, rotating, subbing off the field. All right, next guy in. Okay, Sky, you're back in. Why? Why aren't we keeping our best weapons out there and riding the hot hands? If we're looking at the wide receiver breakdown for this game, our top three, or top three wide receivers by snap count Rasheed Rice, Sky Moore, Justin Watson. Rice is 68%. Sky Moore, 66%. Justin Watson is 63%. MVS had 48%, so still in the neighborhood. You then have a huge drop-off to Kadarius Toney at 18% and Richie James at 11%. So the problem with all this is, is that Rasheed Rice still hasn't gotten more than 80% of the snap counts in a game yet this season when it's obvious he's our most skilled wide receiver and skilled weapon. And the fact that we're still just like letting everybody be on the field for the same amount of snaps blows my mind, blows my mind. We talked about this last week and how the chiefs have identified what their three real weapons are. We have Travis Kelsey, Isaiah Pacheco and Rishi Rice. At this point, we know our weapons. It's important to get them snaps but it's also important to have the right weapons out on the field more often than not. I can't explain why Kadarius Toney is still at 18% snap count. If we want to go back to week one, I will say this, minus the lead hands issue, he looked really good against the Lions. He was open a lot against the Lions. He made the Lions look stupid. In other times when we've called his number throughout this year on actual vertical passing plays, even something like a quick slant, Kadarius Tony has juice. Kadarius Tony is skilled. So what we need to say now is we know our top three weapons, kind of the next tier after that. So how should we be lining these up and utilizing them? The way we should be doing this is we should have Rasheed Rice on the outside. 
Kadarius Tony possibly on the other outside. Then you put Sky Moore in the slot where he's easily most effective, as was evidenced in this Packers game. And then put Richie James in in the other side or opposite Sky Moore because he's a very solid possession receiver. After that, give your carries to Isaiah Pacheco. Keep Travis Kelsey out there. And guess what? Kelsey had his best production when Rasheed Rice was on the field, able to be a threat and draw other defenders away. Nobody, nobody is scared when they see MVS lining up for cardio, when they see Sky Moore opposite MVS on the sideline, because he's short and unathletic. And then who's your next biggest threat in the receiving game after that? Usually Justin Watson going by snap count. Good night. So are they saving Kadarius Tony for the playoffs then? Is that what we have to hope for? That they're, they're just saving Kadarius Tony because they don't want him to tweak his knee because they know he's got the juice and they know that Ben Kenobi, you're our only hope. I sure hope so. I hope they do that. I hope they take a flyer in Zach Ertz. I hope we get Noah Gray more involved because he's been one of our more consistent receiving threats despite being tied into. So point number two that gives me concern is the defense. We are currently down to third string inside linebacker and career special teams player Jack Cochran. Yikes. Bless his heart for coming in, but it was obvious we did not have a starting or even backup caliber inside linebacker that entire game. Where were the Packers primarily attacking us? Right up the gut. Chris Jones lining up on the outside more often than he used to. And even when he is in the inside, he's not a big run stuffer. So you got him gone. You got some guy named Jack Cochran, who's a special teamer playing linebacker. And what happens in the second half? We lost our free safety in Brandon Cook, which is not good. Because again, he's kind of one of those guys that flies across the field and makes adjustments and saves plays like that. This is bad. This is very bad. Because up to this point in the season, we have really been riding the elite defense to a lot of these wins. Several. Off the top of my head, I'm just thinking the Jacksonville game was one. Uh, Shutting down the Raiders last week defensively was another one. Oh, goodness. Shutting down the Chargers the entirety of the second half after they put up points in the first half was another one. Uh, Almost won the Lions game because our defense held the Lions to 14 points. We need this defense. As I just went on explaining, our offense, I have, I, I can say at this point, barring a miracle or barring Andy Reid just having something completely up his sleeve that we don't know about, and he's just saying, we're just going to make it to the playoffs, like, and then I'll unleash like the real playbook and utilize people properly and all those things. This offense is not going to show up this year. The offense we've seen is the Chiefs' offense. The Chiefs' offense is a bad offense that is dragged kicking and screaming by Patrick Mahomes all the way to the red zone until he he even can't hide all those blemishes by himself. It's pretty obvious at this point. So it has me very concerned now that the injury bug seems to be jumping in and biting some of our best defenders. I mean, it was one thing when Nick Bolton dislocated his wrist against, I think it was the Chargers weeks ago, a month or two ago. Because we had that offseason signing of Drew Tranquil to stand in. And, dude, honestly, we haven't missed a beat. If anything, we've probably been slightly better in pass coverage with Drew Tranquil out there. 
But to lose him to that freak concussion injury just a few plays into the game, that was bad. To potentially lose our starting free safety, luckily we have Mike Edwards to step in. and I think he's very capable, albeit a veteran, but he's capable. But oh baby, you better hope Virginia Tech's Jamari Connors is ready to come in, should the need be, and when he needs to give Edwards a spell. Because suddenly, we are very thin at two different levels of the defense. Gotta hope Legereus Sneed stays healthy. Gotta hope Trent McDuffie stays healthy, or we can be in big trouble. Now, I also mentioned Chris Jones not being so great at stopping the run. Can anyone tell me? Can we put on an APB for Chris Jones for the last few weeks? He doesn't seem like he's a guy who's gonna get his sacks and he's playing for his contract. I tell you what, I've looked into my crystal ball on this. Chris Jones will not be a chief next year. He's gonna get signed by another team to a much smaller deal than he was asking for us. Not like something stupid, like Chris Jones is going to get like $11 million a year. No, no, no. He's currently asking for 30 around there. I think it was 30. He's probably going to go somewhere and they're going to get him for like 23, 24. A lot of guaranteed money, but 23, 24. We can't rely on Chris Jones anymore. We have to hope some of these young guns start developing. Carl Loftus, surprisingly quiet game against Green Bay. Still waiting to see anything from Felix Anadike Uzama so far this year. Albeit, you know, we kind of knew he was going to be a developmental pick that we mostly got for depth because we knew Charles Amenehue was going to be suspended the first six games of the season. So I'm willing to give him again, like, the one-year red shirt. But we can't afford to pay Chris Jones when the offense has this many glaring issues. In addition to needing Kelsey's heir, in addition to needing a wide receiver one in addition to probably needing a running mate for Isaiah Pacheco. So he doesn't have to bear the brunt of this for the next two years of his rookie contract. This draft better be all about that offense because defense is one of the things that's harder to maintain from season to season. It's usually diminishing returns. Your players get banged up. They get older. They get expensive. It's hard to maintain a defense. Legion of boom was only around for what? Two, three years, maybe. It's hard to maintain a good defense. We need an elite defense to carry this offense for the rest of the year or else. So point three, let's talk about the or else, the Bills and beyond. We're going to lose this Sunday. We are going to lose to the Buffalo Bills this Sunday. Coming to this game, the Bills are coming off their bye week and they are 6-6 six and six and playing for their lives from every week from here on out to the end of the season. They are incredibly hungry right now, or at least they seem to be. We are currently not hungry or focused. You see it in our body language. You see it on the sidelines. You see Pat getting frustrated. He's being great. He's being an A-plus teammate on the mic. But you see it in his play. He's hesitating to throw to dudes because even if they're open, he's like, well, they're just going to drop it. He's frustrated at guys running the wrong routes. Pat's very frustrated. Another important thing to note, the Bills have won twice at Arrowhead during the Mahomes era. Now, the last time was very close. And why did we lose that game again? Oh, right. Sky Moore didn't understand the concept of a curl route and waited for the ball to come to him, and the route got jumped for an interception. That's right. That's what happened. This could be very bad. 
We've seen this throughout the year that honestly, the Bills have gone silent a little bit on offense in some weird times, but the Bills high scoring offense is still there. Josh Allen is still going to sling it like a man possessed. Stephon Diggs is still a very capable wide receiver one. Dalton Kincaid having a fantastic rookie year for a tight end. And if Dawson Knox comes back, that's arguably a top two to three tight end tandem in the NFL. I think it's very fair to say. The Bills have weapons. Dalvin Cook's brother, I forget his name, playing great this year. He's playing the way they need him to play. That's a very capable offense that if it's playing a very suspect defense like we have potentially with these players out, that can be a big problem. The Bills have not lost a lot of games this year because they've struggled to score points. The Bills have lost a lot of games this year because they're dumb and Josh Allen is a turnover machine. Big difference. Those are all intrinsic things. The Chiefs have lost a lot of games this year because we can't score points. Even historically against the Bills, we don't normally light the Bills up for points. I think the the first AFC title game we played them in, we did... Uh, but, but, but I think the final score of that AFC divisional 13 seconds game, the score was everyone. I think both teams scored was like 21 points, like the last six minutes of the game. That final score was very misleading for the rest of the game, but we don't score a lot of points against the bills in general. I don't expect that to change this week at home. What you are about to see next week is for the first time in the Patrick Mahomes era, the chiefs fan base is going to go absolutely nuclear meltdown when we lose to the Buffalo Bills and they won't understand what's going on. How did this happen? Fire Brett Veach, all these things. I'm staying a little more cool because I've been a bit of a doomsday prep around this. I've been seeing the writing on the wall and I'm like, well, if this doesn't improve, this could get worse. Okay, so this is getting worse and this is now not just a trend, it's a fact. Okay, we're losing games consistently now and have lost, what is it, two of our last three, potentially three of our last four? This is bad, guys. So beyond, I was clowned on this against the Raiders when I said, there's a good chance the Chiefs aren't making the playoffs. And I mean it. Denver on that five-game winning streak, our offense continually sputtering. It's still sputtering. Let's look at it this way. We are currently in third place in the AFC. I think when all is said and done, I think if we went out and Baltimore wins out, and the Dolphins aren't on the same record. We have the tiebreaker over Baltimore for something. I don't know the specifics. Long story short, we are currently in the third seed, one game behind the Dolphins with the tiebreaker. We have only one less loss than the Colts and the Texans sitting in sixth or seventh place. We only have two less losses than the Steelers in eighth and the Broncos in ninth. Folks, the Chiefs can easily miss the playoffs. Easily. As we've seen, the Bengals still have a ton of weapons, and they aren't willing to go down without a fight. They can plug one system QB in for another system QB. They can still win games. We still have to play the Chargers one more time, who they always give us a tight game. We have the Raiders, which, okay, we own the Raiders, but it's still a divisional game. Guys, we got a long way to go before we even wrap up the division, let alone wrap up that wild card. This is going to be a very tumultuous final few weeks of the season. I still think if we make the playoffs, there's a very good chance we're one and done. 
unless this offense clicks. I'm not confident going up against a lot of teams in the AFC this year, which sucks because this is probably the weakest the AFC has been since Mahomes has been with the Chiefs, if we're going to be honest. I think the 49ers look like the best team in the NFL. And again, it's like, okay, if you if you had to give us a one-game playoff against the 49ers, can we beat them? Okay, yeah, I guess so, because like the 49ers like aren't as afraid of us as AFC teams are. A- AFC teams want to give us their best shot every week, but the 49ers... I think they'd be pretty confident. They they wouldn't play scared against us, which might play to our advantage, if that makes sense. But keep an eye on the AFC playoff picture. The Chiefs are far from secure in the playoffs. The Chiefs are far from secure for their eighth division championship in a row. The Chiefs got a long way to go, and they're going to have to dig through a lot of mud and a lot of barbed wire to get there. So that is all I have for you this week. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Fountain City Sports Media. Next week, Hot Take Mondo should be back, and we will be discussing a loss, I mean game, against the Buffalo Bills. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy the great weather, and we'll see you soon. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes, and as always... I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media.